They should just not allow you to create an Instagram account unless you can do a duck face. Send all hate mail to you. It's true. <laughs> it's not hate mail. It's yeah. either food or people doing the Pictures duck face. of their butts That's and duck it. face. Uh-huh. All right. Welcome to AT Banter, the podcast where we discuss anything and everything regarding the world of assistive technology. With our hosts, Steve Barkley, Rob Minot, and Ryan Fleury. Now, let's banter. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. I am Rob Minot, and joining me today is Mr. Steve Barkley. Banter. And Mr. Ryan Flurry. Howdy. We are live, sort of, from the Guitar Dungeon. Yeah. Coming at you. It's a lovely Tuesday fall day. It's Monday. Okay, it's a lovely Monday <laughs> fall day. I don't even know what day of the week it is. Isn't that, that's, uh, I hate that. Good kind of, job, you bum. Kind of sad seeing as you have to show up to do the podcast <laughs> on Monday. Because <laughs> well, we usually record, because 90% of the time we record on Tuesdays. That's why. But mm. this, this week, it's a Monday. Monday, Monday. Na, 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 na. So, I don't know. I, I got nothing for news this morning because I went, I went this morning and got up and, and checked the Twitter feed. And of course, it's exploding about, about this whole Las Vegas business. So, I got, yeah. I got completely, completely sidetracked on that, but terrible. Well, first, first we had a terrorist attack in Edmonton. Yeah, and then weekend. everybody went, oh my God, what could be worse than this? And Las Vegas went, oh. hold my beer. Yeah, yeah. Just, just craziness. I don't even know what to say about that, but... I don't know. You know, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that there's, yeah, never mind. We, we won't even get into it. I mean, I don't, it's not much to say about it, but. Terrorists suck. Yep. No matter what color they are, what age they are, they come in all shapes and sizes. F*** you, terrorists. Yeah. We're going to put that on the shot glasses. <laughs> AT banter. F*** you, terrorists. Alrighty. Um, <clears throat> first of all, before we get started, Ryan. Rob, um, what are we doing today? We are speaking with Mr. Tom Decker from iHabilitation, as well as Hands Off Our Harnesses and many other things he's involved in. Uh, but before we call Tom, uh, uh, we received a lovely email from Beth over the weekend. Hi, Beth. That uh, said she really enjoyed last week's show, our stream of consciousness news show, as I called it. Really? She enjoyed that. She did. She huh. did. I know. I was a little scared, but uh, and believe what I was really scared of though is I was afraid that Elon Musk was going to hear it and incorporate my my idea about the the autonomous car, steal my idea away. He, he would do that too. He's just like that. He would. Yeah. He would. Because who would not buy a sex robot food processor autonomous car? I, I can't think of anyone. I know. Yeah. So. Uh, no, but uh, thanks so much for the email, Beth. Uh, it was much appreciated. She gave us a bunch of topics, too, that she's curious about because she's down in the U.S. She's wondering about what the heck it's like being a Canadian. Ooh, what's it like being a Canadian? Mm. Well, exactly. Well, it's it's chilly sometimes. We have higher alcohol, alcohol content beer. 
Uh, yeah. That's true. We have worse Netflix. Also, strangely, a higher uh, incidence of alcoholism, too. <laughs> That's East Coast. Uh, well, you know, and funnily enough, today's guest might be able to illuminate a little bit uh, because we're going to be talking a little bit about Canadian guide dogs. There you go. So uh, that might answer some of Beth's questions. But no, it, it was great. We're certainly going to take note of some of these questions and we'll probably address them in future shows. We love it when people email us and, and give us suggestions on what they want to hear us talking about because we don't know. We're just talking. That's a sad commentary on us, isn't it? We don't know. We don't know. We're, we, just, we're just blathering on. That's bantering. right. <laughs> it's all about the banter. Yep. Blather, blather. <laughs> Maybe we should rename the podcast. Rebranded AT Blather. Banter Blather. Dan Blather. Um hmm. You guys got anything else? Yeah, anything anything of, of note happen other than some psycho opening fire at a country music concert? October fourth, Google's having an event. Yes, it is. My They're birthday. Announcing new Pixel phones probably, a new Chromebook and new Google Home. For those of you listening to the podcast on the Friday it's posted, that would have been yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> no, the day before. <laughs> the day before yesterday. <laughs> That's right. So I said October 4th. Get in, get in your DeLorean, go 88 miles an hour, <laughs> go back in time. <laughs> and this will, right. be, this will be news to you. Yeah. Yes. If this is news to you, you've already missed it. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Find Doc Brown. <laughs> You're gonna need a hundred thousand gigawatts of. Anyways, joining us today is Mr. Tom Decker, who is the founder and proprietor of iHabilitation Canada, a company whose mission it is to provide inclusively designed books and videos that facilitate touchscreen learning and teaching for people with vision or reading disabilities. He's also a regular contributor on AMI, the Accessible Media Channel, a blogger, and a blindness advocate. Good morning. Good morning, Tom. How are you? Not bad. And you? Doing all right, thanks. <laughs> thanks for joining us. <laughs> well, you're most welcome. Actually, I'm doing it on my partner's Mac because we couldn't get all the USB devices to work on the laptop I thought I was going to use. But hey, that's what makes technology fun. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> or you're coming in clear as a bell. Yeah. Yep. So let's go way back into the past. And let's talk a little bit about how the heck you first became involved with assistive technology. What were your first experiences like? Well, my first experience was seeing people take the handset of a telephone and stuff it into some weird rubber thing so it could somehow talk over the phone. And they said, oh, well, blind people can't use these yet. So I said, okay, and went on with life. Uh, then in the late 70s, 78, 79, I got involved with this political organization in Toronto called Boost. I don't know if you guys out here knew about it much. It was called Blind Organization of Ontario with Self-Help Tactics. And, of course, a lot of the conservative blind people said it should have been self-help terrorism, but that was, uh, that was their opinion. <laughs> But what I did for them is I started looking at books from catalogs, uh, assistive technology information, and discovered a big book that was six braille volumes long that was co-created by RNIB and uh, American Foundation for the Blind. And I was reading about all this amazing technology. And I thought, 
I don't think we have much of anything like this in Canada. And I brought this to the attention of our board of directors, and they said, well, write a report. So I actually did this thing called Applications of Technology and Employment of Blind and Visually Impaired People. And they gave it out and did whatever they did with it. I wasn't quite sure because they immediately sent me on another project to try and work on employment development given the information I had gained from the research for the technology paper. And there's another branch of this. When I was younger, I was one of these people. Remember the people who used to whistle into the phone and make free phone calls? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember hearing about that, yeah. I was one of those. (laughs) Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Wow. So Bell Canada was chasing me all over the Uh. country. (laughs) They didn't like me. They said, you have illegal equipment. I said, pal, if my Hammond organ is illegal, then y'all just haul it on out of here. <laughs> then you better arrest Steve Winwood. <laughs> well, actually, you know, it's Steve Jobs and uh, Steve Wozniak from Apple because have you heard of a book called Exploding the Phone? No. Uh, actually, I think I heard Jonathan Mosin mention that recently. Yes, it's an amazing book, and it's actually on audible.com, and it is read by one of the world's foremost phone freaks. So you you know what it's like when someone reads a book and they don't know the topic? Yep. Yeah, well, this this he knows everything about it, so it's a really great read. And anyway, the reason I got all my access technology the first time around is because during our employment search, we ended up contacting Mitel Corporation in Ottawa. And they said, oh, good, because we're looking for to develop a talking switchboard. And I thought the funniest part of it was they said, are you connected with CNIB? And we sort of went, no. <laughs> <laughs> and their reaction was, oh, good, because we tried to call them up and they didn't want to help us. They just said, well, there would be no demand for that in Canada. And I sort of said, what else is new? Because what you read when you do your research is that all these European countries Positions like telephone operator and receptionist are designated for vision-impaired people because they know they can do the job, so they get first choice. So we don't have to talk much more about why there is no demand in Canada. So they got talking to me, and then I got talking to them about my phone freakery, and rather than trying to arrest me, (laughs) they said, if you had a job in Ottawa, would you go? (laughs) <laughs> if I had a job anywhere, I'd go at this point. <laughs> so off I went, and that got me my Opticon, and it got me the VersaBraille. I had VersaBraille number 5-0 off the assembly line. Wow. What year would have that been? 1981. Oh. Empire Strikes Back. That was a good year. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> So anyway, I got all this equipment and did the phone freak job for a couple of years, but I was getting more phone calls at my tail from blind people all over Canada saying, could you tell me how to hook this version pail up to whatever? So I didn't like Ottawa that much because I lived in the West End and worked way further out in the West End. So after a couple of years of that job, it was fun, but people said, you know, really, you should be doing consulting to do with all this technology. So I came back to Toronto and... That's what I sort of did. 
So that all went into years and years of doing that. And then in 2002, I went back to rehab teacher school and became a rehab teacher. And uh, I don't know, during years before that, I got to work in New York and Texas and for commissions for the blind and things around the States. I, you know, just boogied about doing things. So I thought I'd better become a rehab teacher or at least get a piece of paper that said I could do something so that I could be guaranteed a job for the rest of my working time. So... That's how all that went. And all of that through the process, of course. Six different puppy dogs. I'm now on dog six. So I got my first dog just about around the time all this technology stuff started. Now, now let me ask you a question about the whole phone freakery thing, because it's, it's actually a little bit fascinating. But did, did they ever close the the security hole in that? Or like how, how did the, the phone companies actually respond? Or could they do anything? They really couldn't do much. But, so, but it was a technological thing because as they replaced the old analog wonderful <laughs> you know all that wonderful equipment it went away and now everything has the same dial tone and everything has the same ring and everything takes the same two seconds to connect the phone system is now a very very boring thing to listen to mm -hmm. i don't we don't think about that anymore and so as the system digitized the ability to do anything just went away because all the signaling wasn't traveling along the same paths as your voice anymore. It was separate. So you could whistle and tweet and chirp all you wanted, but it wasn't going to hear anything. So that's how it went away. When, when did you first discover you couldn't whistle and tweet anymore? Well, it gradually happened as they'd switch and exchange over because... You know, what would also happen is that the clarity of calls between exchanges would get better. Narrower bandwidth, but more clarity. You play recordings of the old analog phone switches through a big sound system, and when those stepper switches go clunk, your whole speaker cabinet jumps, you know. <laughs> wow. But it was fun while it lasted. In fact, it says in Exploding the Phone that... All the illegal. See, what you used to also be able to do was a whole bunch of people would dial into disconnected numbers in a certain exchange, and when the load got too heavy on the this is a recording machine, it would just crash. Right. So there'd be this open circuit. <laughs> so everybody who knew to dial in, you'd just get a bunch of people all to dial in at the same time. It would crash the recording, and then you had a free worldwide teleconference for as long as you wanted one. <laughs> That's amazing. And, and to think, you know, that was all done at a time before, you know, social media or any way of, of really having an online community where you could organize something like that fairly easily these days. Uh, that must have oh, been yeah, a real I'm challenge. I'm friends with quite a few of those people, too. And it says right in Exploding the Phone, you know, this really was the precursor to social media, just as exactly as you've mentioned, because a lot of people are still connected with each other because of those initial connections back then. <laughs> right. Wow, that's fascinating stuff. I'll have to add it to my Audible account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. You'll love it. I'm, I'm adding it right now. <laughs> Exploding. I love, yeah, I love, I love stories about sticking it to the man. Especially Bell. Well, like. Apparently people from Bell Canada were really stoked that I got a job because one of the things I did while I worked for Mitel is that Bell Canada wasn't really cooperating with Mitel very much because it, you know what Bell was like and they didn't like competition very much. So I said to somebody at work, 
you know, I can know these exchanges by their sounds, you know, and they said, oh, because we, Bell won't give us any information, so our techies don't know. I said, well, you tell your techies to call me, and I'll dial up, and I'll tell them what's going on from the switching, and they'll know what kind of offices they're in, and they said, can you make a database of this? Database of this? So uh, one of my big jobs while I was there is made this huge database of all these exchanges and what kind they were because back in the day uh, as things were gradually switching you could have five different kinds of exchange if you lived in for example the gta depending on where you lived. bc was a lot more boring bc was just step by step by step all the way they the bc didn't get crossbar exchanges they didn't get electronic exchanges until the mid to late 80s it was funny how slow it was to happen out here so when when you would crash one of these one of these uh, exchanges and you'd have that open circuit, like how long generally would that last before they would start it up again? It would sort of fix itself once once the load was taken off. It would sort of come back to life again. But you could make them go away quite easily. The other thing, people, everybody had these Sony TC one hundred five tape recorders, right? When they were going to university and to read their books and everything. So we would just plug a mic into those things, take the mouthpiece out of the telephone and hook a pair of alligator clips from the speaker output <laughs> and then dial into busy signals and everybody would just super amplify their voice so the busy signal didn't matter anymore. We could just talk with our Sony microphones over the phone circuits <laughs> and it wow. actually worked quite well. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> See, and these days we've just got Skype. We can just call anybody anywhere and... Talk to them for free. It sort of takes the fun out of it. In a way. <laughs> it kind of does. <laughs> uh, so, you, you know, you've obviously been a techie for years and years and years. Uh, what's your What's your impression of how the technology has changed, say, over the past twenty five years? Well. It, it certainly had its ups and downs in a certain way. I mean, I think the worst thing was the whole transition where we had to go from Windows XP because I was a wizard in Windows XP. I, I even got my first level of A-plus certification in Windows XP because when I was in Texas, they actually... See, the Texas Commission for the Blind got so sick of vendors who sold them equipment that didn't really work that they said, forget it. And they trained a whole bunch of blind people. And the Commission for the Blind in Texas for the longest time actually had its own facility where they built all their own computers for the clients. And it was all vision impaired people who were building them. Cool. So I learned that there. But so I was really good with XP. The whole thing about after XP going through Vista, going through oh, Windows, oh, I don't know, Windows ME. 7 was, oh, gee. Yeah, don't and, forget and Windows finally ME. we're back at it with Windows 10. But, you know, of course, the biggest thing is how Apple has led the way in. Okay, people, this is what inclusive design looks like. Thank yeah. you very much. And now everybody's having to run after them and catch up, which is good. Well, and they seem to be doing that in, in pretty short order. Yeah. I mean, uh, my favorite thing was about last February. It used to be that when I tried to run Microsoft Word on the Apple computer, you'd open the window and it would say one word. It would say, unknown. So that was the end of that. And then one day, I guess it was about last February, I they said 
they've made Microsoft Word accessible on the Mac, and I thought to myself, oh, yeah, right, sure they have. So I downloaded the latest version of Word, and my God, it was fully accessible. It went from unknown to completely accessible. So I thought to myself, if this kind of stuff is starting to happen in leaps and bounds this big, uh, we're moving into a new era, folks. <laughs> Yeah, and Apple really was the you know the leader. You know, no matter how how we feel about Apple these days, I mean, because you're talking to a bunch of Android users uh, who sort of who sort of tossed away their their iPhones um, for for various different reasons. I think mainly I gave up mine just just because I just I hated iTunes so much. Um, <laughs> but but I mean, you have to give them credit that they were at the forefront of making their operating system and their devices accessible and they're solely responsible for everybody else uh, catching the bus. Well, you know, it's so funny though and yet there's certain little things like, please God, can we have a little vibration so that when you're turning on your phone or rebooting your phone, you won't have to find a sighted person going, is there an apple on the screen yet? I mean, can oh, we not yeah. have a simple vibration? That's, that's so true. Uh, I'd like to learn more about Android, but I keep hearing that the Braille support isn't there yet. And given the way I operate, if I don't have excellent Braille support, I don't want to fiddle with it. Well, let's ask our resident uh, Braille expert, Ryan. What, how do you, what do you think? Well, that's the, the story I've heard over and over and over again as well is if you want, really want good Braille support, you know, stick with the Apple devices. Although I hear iOS 11 has some issues that oh, yeah. need to be worked out on the Braille side of things. But I think with Android, you know, their their accessibility team is quite small. So it really takes a while for TalkBack or BrailleBack to actually get updated. I think there's three releases a year. So BrailleBack is, you know, lacking, but it's getting there. Well, when it gets there, I'll certainly be interested in exploring. I, you know, my whole thing with the little business we're trying to get off the ground is to teach people to visualize their screens. Like you see so many people that they're good with their iPhones, but they flick, 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 flick from one end of everything to the other. And it's like, why did you flick five times to get to the next first icon on the next row? Because you still don't <laughs> understand that all you have to do is drag your finger down one little bit and you've just moved to the icon below where you were without having to do five flicks. Well, and I've recently been at a couple shows where most of the people have been iPhone users, and of course I'm an Android user, and you know their concern is, well, how do I use it? Well, same as your iPhone, you can swipe to the left, you can swipe to the right, you can drag your finger down to each icon and it'll be spoken out to you. It's no different. You can tap, See, you can double I, tap. When I teach iPhone to people, I say every new screen you arrive at, I want you to tell me how many things there are on this screen. I want you to tell me what's above this thing and what's below. I want you to make a mental map of this screen before you start using it. Because before long, what happens is the muscle memory in their fingers kicks in. And just like as if they could see, the, the, the visual memory in their head triggers the muscle memory the same way looking at it does. And people start getting so that they can put their finger right on a place on the screen where they want to look without having to flick for it. Right. So what's and, what was your impression of like touchscreens and smartphone technology? Because I know for us, we kind of really feel that that's, that's sort of the point where AT was propelled 
forward a bit. Like we really started to see some real useful, um, affordable, mainstream accessibility options. But what was it like as a blind user to to have to learn to use a, a touchscreen? It was terrible at first. I mean, and I think almost anybody who does this has the same experience. For the first few weeks you have the thing, it runs a serious risk at be, of being flung at a wall or off a balcony <laughs> or somewhere. But, you know, being a rehab teacher, I started to think, look, if I had this much trouble and I'm supposed to be a techie or whatever, just think of the trouble some other people are having and how can we get around this? And we've just gotten started at this project, but I think that what we're doing is going to help a lot because the few people in the industry who've had a good look at it say it's amazing. And what we're doing is courses. And they have the same audio that all the blind podcasts I have. They have the person doing the demo, and they have voiceover talking, and the blind people who sit there and listen. You know, it's great for blind people. But what about everybody else? So we've done that, but what it has is a video component. And along with the good audio, just like usual blind podcast, on the screen, on one side of the screen, you see a live show of me doing the gestures on the phone and operating it so people get an idea of what I'm doing with my fingers. And on the right-hand side of the screen, you see a real-time flow of what's happening on the iPhone, just like kind of a sort of blackboard sort of deal. So all of a sudden, this isn't just for blind people. This is for the teachers, the educational assistants, the friends, anybody who wants to get their head around how a blind person does this thing with this voiceover and this touchscreen, it's now presented visually so anybody who needs to help can plug into what they need to do in order to help. So that's what we're going to be doing a lot more of as soon as we get set up in here with our little green screens so I look nice <laughs> on video and all that kind of stuff. It's very important. Now, so tell us a little bit about uh, eye habilitation because this is the the, the company that, that I mentioned earlier. Uh, how did it get started and what do you guys do? Well, how it got started was that one of the things I decided, there used to be a book by Sarah Morley, and I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. It was Windows 95 Explained, Windows 7 Explained. There was a book. And with that book came a big thermoform book full of really detailed screen diagrams, which was really neat for teaching the concepts in a certain way, except you couldn't relate. There was no touch screen, right? So yeah, you could get the concepts in your head of the diagrams. So I actually wrote to her at one point and said, are you planning to do this for Apple? And she said, no, not right now. It's not in our immediate plans. And I thought, well, fine. It's in my immediate plans because <laughs> now the diagrams make sense because you can actually feel a diagram with one hand and explore a touchscreen with the other. So we made the books called Feel and See because you can either feel them or see them. And they're screenshot diagrams. And there's a 
large print version of the diagram on the same page, and then we send them through the Braille embosser. So you have the Braille completely lined up with the large print on the same page for each screenshot diagram. So all of a sudden, the sighted person helping the blind person, if they're having a little trouble, they can actually you know, show that blind person, look, here's the thing you want. And all of a sudden, the blind person is feeling it in Braille. So we did these books for a while, and that's how I habilitation got started because having been a rehab teacher, I don't know, there was a joke went down one day and I said, all I, I don't do rehab anymore, I just do iHab because all I teach is iPhones. And people said, you know, you should start a company called iHabilitation. So I thought, <laughs> you know what, that's the company name we'll use to uh, make these diagram books and get them out there. And, you know, we sold about a thousand of them through National Braille Press when we had a good producer but companies changed hands and we thought you know producing the books is fairly labor intensive so why don't we think of a way to impart this knowledge that isn't quite so labor intensive in the physical sense and that's how we discovered this uh, neat app for the mac called ScreenFlow recorder which records all the stuff I described in our, you know, we, we can record the me talking, the voiceover, and the camera, and the flow from the phone, all in a single, just by pressing one record button, it captures everything all at once. It's really cool. Now, have you heard of these companies that are working on incorporating haptics into touchscreen technology? I don't know that much about it yet. I've just gotten into dialogue with somebody here in town who has a 3D printing company, and she does all kinds of stuff. We only met a couple of weeks ago, but I can tell you that she's really interested in the idea of how to do a 3D printed version of the screenshots. And if if that works, that would be really cool because all of this content that we're developing goes into this really cool online learning management system. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of them. They're, they're in Vancouver, actually. They're a really cool company called thinkific.com. Okay. And they're very interested in accessibility and they're helping us out to design these things so that they look good. And because you can put any kind of file into your Thinkific learning management system, because it helps you keep track of your lessons and sends you an email to remind you that you haven't done lesson four yet. It, like it, it's, a, it's, it's a school that's connected with an automated email thing. And uh, if we can do this 3D printing stuff, because you can associate any kind of file with your course or your lesson, it would become possible that they could see all these cool videos that I've described, and also they would be able to download the file that would allow them to print their 3D screenshots wherever they happen to be. So we wouldn't be having to run them off of the embosser and bind them and ship them and you know do all that stuff. It would be completely on demand for people wherever they were, you know, India, Australia. We think this has a pretty interesting potential to uh, sort of help people along with learning this stuff. Yeah, I hadn't really given it much thought, but I suppose that, you know, 3D printing and the ability to do tactile graphics um, more easily than in the past has got to be really affecting um, the industry as well. 
Well, I know where they're doing a lot of this stuff is at the San Francisco Lighthouse, where some nice person not too long ago uh, left them a little gift of $125 million. That was nice. That was nice. Nobody, <laughs> nobody ever gives me off. gifts like that. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, it's my birthday this week, so maybe maybe I'll get lucky. You never know. Steve. <laughs> um uh well let me ask you this then what do you think about the the latest trend um which seems to be wearable technology have you have you had a chance to play around with any of it uh not really my problem is that i live in victoria you see so a, a lot of this stuff doesn't come to us over here that easily as far as i can tell so far uh the closest wearable i have is my aftershocks and i couldn't live without my aftershocks and i'm definitely more interested in the apple watch now that it has cellular capability yes. and that it will in fact work with bluetooth headphones so those are the two quote wearables that i know about so far but there certainly seems to be a proliferation of such devices these days it, you know and it, it's always interesting to me too how you can have these mainstream devices and they just make one tweak and all of a sudden it becomes incredibly useful for the AT community. I mean, the Apple Watch is a perfect example. I mean, they launched that and it it was it was fairly lukewarm. It was more of a gimmick, but you know, turning on that that cellular feature has really unlocked the potential for it. Oh, I think so. And, you know, they're responding. I mean, there's a lot of consciousness raising stuff going on. I know there was just an accessibility camp. You've heard about those. They have accessibility yep. camp Toronto here and there. I think it's sort of interesting because accessibility camp was started. I guess it was started by Jenison Asuncion in Toronto. And, you know, now the accessibility camp Toronto has 700 odd members and it's the largest accessibility camp that there is. But these things are all over the place. And, you know, Jenison's in charge of accessibility for LinkedIn. And, you know, more of us are getting into key positions in this industry, which really helps move, move things along as well. Now, you are also involved in the guide dog community, and you are involved with something called Hands Off Our Harnesses. What can you tell us about that? Well, that was the sort of joke name we kind of gave the campaign. What we've done is organized something called the Coalition, uh, Canadian Coalition of Guide and Service Dog Handlers. Now, the history very briefly is that for two or three years now, the Canadian General Standards Board, behind closed doors with people signing non-disclosure agreements and all sorts of secretive weirdness, have been developing a new guide dog and service dog standard for Canada that is supposed to improve things here. Well, when you read the draft that was released for public comment, you find out that 99% of this thing is actually impossible to achieve uh, and that no working dog teams in Canada could ever meet the standard. So what happened is that they started a public comment period at the beginning of May, a 60-day public comment period. But it was never advertised. There was never any outreach to the community. Nobody knew anything. Some people put it on a couple of guide dog lists in May. The government's developing a standard, and everybody was like, yeah, well, whatever. Then 
almost at the end of the 60-day public comment period, a lot of us from uh, from Seeing Eye, if we lived in Canada, from GDB, if we lived in Canada, Guide Dogs for the Blind in California, that is, we all got letters from their graduate services people that said, you need to be aware that this standard is being brought forward in Canada, and if it comes into effect and starts becoming law, because we all know that what starts out as standards usually turns out to be what everybody who is lazy decides, oh, we'll just make that standard a law, right? And people don't understand this. But the gist of this letter that came around June 27th or 28th, right near the end of the comment period from the schools, said, if this happens, we're not sure that we'll be able to provide you with dogs anymore. So... Now is it sorry sorry to interrupt but just a, a quick question so is is that where many of the guide dogs in Canada come from like is are there are there set schools throughout the US that generally feed the the system here in Canada Oh yeah I mean GDB has over 300 dogs in Canada seeing I last I heard had 150 graduates in 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 the active graduates in the Toronto area alone it's something like 85 or 90 percent of wow. Canadian dogs come from American schools because our schools are too small. I mean, can you imagine the waiting list? Mm-hmm. Sure. So anyway, this letter came and apparently it had been on the Canadian guide dog list a couple of times and people just didn't really pay attention. But I'll tell you what, we perked up when we found out and got these letters at the end of June and I I don't want to really take credit, but I, I was the spark because when I got my letter, I was immediately on the phone to Albert Rule from, from GTT and the CCB and everything. I said, Albert, we need a teleconference as fast as we can get one. We, we need people from all over this country. And he said, well, we can give you the conference time if you can get the people. So I went nuts on social media over the next few days. And from the Saturday that I phoned Albert to get the teleconference together, by the following Wednesday, there were well over 30 people from all over Canada that were on this teleconference. And some of them are very amazing advocates, people like Yvonne Peters, who just happens to be chairman of the board of the uh, Manitoba Human Rights Commission and is also a seeing eye graduate. Uh, Michelle McQuig from Canadian Press, she didn't participate in the conference, but when she found out what was going on, she generated a wonderful article that got picked up all over Canada. Uh, so then we made a mailing list and then we made the website and the blog and lately the last thing I saw it had reached 80,000 people on Facebook and and the engagements were somewhere around 12,000 engagements being people who either liked or shared or commented so it's all over the place and there are uh, I don't know we've had 2,500 or 3,000 hits to the blog and the website since we created it. If you want to go look at it, it's www.hooh.ca, which is hands off our harnesses. And there's all sorts of stuff that you can do there to take action. And it, it, there's even a sample letter that you can send to your member of parliament. There's some very political things about this too, which is interesting because Carla Qualtro who Mm -hmm. was Minister for Vision Impaired People, 
just happened to get transferred to the be the minister of procurement. I can't remember the exact name, but she is now a visually impaired person in charge of the ministry who generated this standards committee. And we think that by a lot of political lobbying to to MPs and to these ministers, we already know they had another meeting of the committee on December 20th, uh, September 2021-22, and we already know that there's going to be another comment period. Uh, the Human Rights Commission of Canada was at that meeting, and they weren't bound by any kind of uh, non-disclosure agreement because they're another government department, but they're not too happy with what's going on either. So there's a lot of support gathering around stopping this nonsense, because if we had this standard, it would even mean that people from other countries couldn't bring their guide dogs here, because according to this standard, they wouldn't have legal test uh, status. They'd have to be tested before, you know, when they got to the country, we'd have to put them through some sort of process. <laughs> to make sure their guide was okay for here. And th the main thing we're lobbying is that, for one thing, if we're going to have a national standard, it needs to be done through a human rights process where mm -hmm. everybody has input. I mean, you don't go right. off and develop a, a sort of human sort of standard through some weird secretive non-disclosure process that that you use, you know, that companies, it's for companies with patents or right. stuff like that. It's not for determining a system that... that, that, that I mean, we need to have O&M instructors input and rehab teachers input. And, you know, there's all kinds of input that needs to happen. And you don't get that through an NDA process, for heaven's sake. So, so and, and we just want them to recognize that any dog certified by the International Guide Dog Federation, which, you know, serves over 90 schools in 40 countries around the world. I mean, Canada does not need a standard that supersedes that standard. <laughs> Yeah, well, so and, that's what's going on there. And Tom, for people who don't know, what is the Standards Committee trying to impose? What's different? What they're trying to do is set all sorts of... St I mean, the stuff in the standard is weird. They can come into your house and see if it's a fit place for a guide dog to live. They can investigate your financial records to see if oh. you can support a dog. They can uh, check your veterinary records to see if the vet... Is, is is doing what they're supposed to. It, it, it's extremely invasive stuff. Uh, the, I don't know. There, there's other things in it that, for example, if if your dog is going to get in a fight with another dog, you need to get between those dogs, or you need to yes. run across the street with your service dog. I mean, what blind person is going to do this? And you need to do all sorts of off-leash obedience stuff. You know, we don't do off-leash obedience with our dogs. Uh, just to give you an example, there's one thing in there, and we all know about guide dogs, so this is how stupid this is, and it represents the whole standard. It says, if during your testing to make sure that you're a functional team kind of idea, a strange person whom you've never met will come up to you and will talk to you for 10 to 15 seconds, and while they're talking to you, they will try to play with your dog. It is your job to make sure that the dog doesn't interfere with this person. You know, it, it always amuses the hell out of me when people try and set standards for animals that are over and above what we set for our children. 
<laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah. And, and furthermore, you need to know how to do CPR for your dog if it's going to have a heart attack. Or what? if they hurt themselves, you need to know how to do first aid. Uh, it goes on and on. But that's ridiculous because they don't have that that standards for pet owners. Like why, you know, you, they don't have that standard for children. Exactly. That's true. Yeah, that's right. I don't need CPR to, to have a kid. Nope. Nope. Well, they, according to they this won't thing, even, you do they to won't have even a dog. investigate your financial records. No, I mean, if anything, uh, they're going to need to do CPR on me if I have a kid. <laughs> <laughs> forget, forget the kid. Um, so the guide dog schools now. Where do they stand on this? Oh, they're, they're all totally opposed to the whole works. Did Was there any warning that this was coming? Did they just, I mean, it seems so weird that they would just decide, let's, you know, let's create some more red tape. No, not, not before the public comment period was very quietly announced at the beginning of May. And all the documentation you were supposed to comment on wasn't accessible the the people from guide dog users of canada actually had to take the documents and make them accessible <laughs> so any blind God. people could read them this is your government at work wow hmm. amazing wow this so nobody really even knows why they did this well we know we know you see what initially happened was that veterans affairs is uh, doing something to do because there, there's so many service, uh, what do you call them, PSTD dogs. There's all kinds of right. different service dogs now, especially PSTD dogs. PTSD. And there's thousands of veterans who want these dogs now. So there was uh, an arrangement through Veterans Affairs that uh, they would pay $75,000 per dog for these people, but there needed to be a standard so that they'd know whether the dogs oh. qualified or not. And originally this started out as just a standard for PSTD dogs, but certain people uh, got involved in this and, and certain blind people, I might add, got involved in this and thinking, oh, if we got guide dogs involved in this, we could make money and we could set up a whole <laughs> right. industry where a bunch of, some of us could make money. Right. And somehow guide dogs got introduced into this standard that originally started out not having anything to do with guide dogs. So there's some certain behind the scenes lobbying that wasn't very cool that apparently went on. And mm. uh, I think people know more details about that than I do. But anyway, guide dogs ended up getting included. So it all went along very silently for the last year and a half or two years while they worked on this. And it wasn't known until the beginning of the public comment in may and the implications of this could be could very well be that if these standards are introduced that you know 85 percent of of the current you know influx of guide dogs could just be completely cut off guide dogs would essentially disappear from the streets of canada under this standard wow wow and uh, so are guide ponies included because we could all switch over to guide ponies Guide cats. No. <laughs> I love my fluffy puppy. I don't want no horse. <laughs> Horses are nice. Guide pigs. Yeah, that's right. But we you, need guide pigs. Well, the funny thing is, apparently pigs make amazing pets, and if you have them from when they're little, they they house train, and they're very nice and clean, and, you know, we we haven't been fair to pigs at all over the years. It's true. They sure taste good, though. Oh. Yeah, 
Just have vegan bacon. They have they have, no, they no. can recreate it in a lab, Brian. They can just make <laughs> take soy and they they can make it kind of taste like bacon. No. So just to end off on the uh, www.hooh.ca, I really encourage people to go look at that. It is a very informative little blog slash website, yeah. and there's all sorts of actionable things that, that people can do, especially since there's going to be another comment period starting soon. And trust me, we will be announcing all of this sort of stuff so that people can get involved and make their voices heard heard absolutely and we'll link to everything in the show notes um i mean because this is this is incredibly important well it is and you see this isn't just dog because this is the beginning of sliding down a slippery slope if the government thinks they can use this kind of process once what's next you know i mean Part of this thing is that you have to be carrying ID and the, it has to show what school you came from and you have to provide your name and, and, and address and things if people ask. I mean, uh, you know, maybe we'll have to have a little star on our forehead or something to say that we've been, you know, certified by the government or something and then nobody will have to ask anything. I don't wow. want to think what that reminds me of. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, um, and so, and where where is it at right now? Where is the process? They have just had their next meeting. There's supposed to be another revision of the stand. Oh, I have to tell you, apparently there was hardly any comment from the public. Between the time we created this movement online and got people mobilized, between the end of June and the middle of July when it closed, we caused people to generate over 1,200 pages of commentary about this thing, and apparently none of it was very positive at all. Huh. Go figure. So who, that who is, is this committee? What, who makes up this committee? It is a technical committee. It's a CGSB, which is Canadian General Standards Board. There's some people from dog organizations. I don't really know the makeup of the committee. See, my job in all this was kind of just to be the social media person and make sure. There's a lot of stuff on there that I haven't even read that much. I just make sure that tons of other people have read it, and I make sure that whenever it says write to your MP or do something, I do the little things. I need to do, but we've been in the middle of getting ready to move and doing all kinds of stuff. So I haven't looked at it lately, but I will just say you'll find out all the answers you need to know on the website. And there's actually some more stuff that's going to get posted within the next day or so about what's going on. And so is this, are, are the blind organizations on board with adopting these standards or are they against it as well? Like CNIB, oh, there CCB. Oh, I mean, you know, this is the first time in history where you will ever see on a Canadian website with, where CNIB and Canadian Federation of the Blind have posted information that is completely in agreement. They're completely in agreement with each other on this point. And <laughs> I want to I want to mention about this. This is interesting. Blind politics in Canada. You know, if you put 15 blind people in a room, you'll leave with 16 different opinions. You know, <laughs> this group isn't like that. I have never seen such consensus in the blind community of Canada that as I have seen in, in this little completely unofficial, you know, ad hoc coalition, we have debates and we argue, but we always figure out that 
this is what we should do and everybody gets along and I, I, I specifically want to thank, for example, Mary Ellen Gabius from the CFB, because we have a meeting, we do something, we talk about it, we're not even quite sure what we talked about. And two hours later, she posts this totally succinct report with all the important points, and I mean, she's just incredible. And there's also another person called Heather Walker, Heather Walkus, who is a great writer on the blog, and then we have Jean Menzies, whose husband has produced a six-part, very detailed report, all the different chapters, but they all end in a failed process, and this is an amazing document that I could never remember all of, but that's another thing you want to look up and read on the site, because it has, you know, it has a table of contents and footnotes, I mean, it, it, it's as good as any government report only it describes perfectly how this whole process is a failed one. Fantastic. And you know what? Give out the website one more time for people. www.hooh.com. Or is it .ca? Oh, my God. I, I can't remember. Oh, it's .ca, I think. H-O-O-H.ca. And it means hands off our harnesses. So we... we Strongly encourage anybody who's listening who hasn't heard about this issue, go check out the website and, and get involved. There's a Facebook page, too. If you search for Hands Off Our Harnesses on Facebook, it'll come right up. Fantastic. We'll link to both of those in the show notes. We will. And cool. tell us where people can find out about eye habilitation. Eye habilitation, the letter I as an iPhone, ihabilitation.ca. Wonderful. Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Well, thank you. Really great opportunity, I'm sure. Uh, well, oh, yeah, yeah, one question. Are you still doing your uh, radio show? Every Tuesday at uh, just about uh, 1.30 p.m., the iHabilitation Man appears on Kelly and Company on AMI, so AMI-audio, that is. So people are welcome to tune in there. We have little iPhone hints or we talk about technology. Sometimes we do quick little walkthroughs of new and interesting apps. So that's a fun thing that I like to do as well. So I hope people will tune in and check it out. The last time I ran into you in Victoria, you were doing a radio show for international music. Are you still doing that one? I'm going to resume it. Uh, that was on Jonathan Mosen's Mushroom FM, uh, because yes. I am a complete world music freak. But uh, I don't know. I had to stop for a while. The, the gray winter last year really got to me, and I sort of lost a lot of energy. I think I'll be better about that from now on. But once we're settled in here, definitely we will be resuming the world music show on Mushroom FM. Definitely. Excellent. All right, Tom. Well, best of luck with uh, Hands Off Our Harnesses. Uh, we will certainly stay tuned to, to the events there. And... Uh, yeah, reach out to us. Let us know if we if there's anything we can ever do. If you, if we, if you want to come back on the show and talk about it, uh, just let us know. That would be wonderful. Thank you. Or if you just want to record five minutes of nonstop swearing. <laughs> That'll work, too. <laughs> Thank you, guys. See you around. Thanks, All right. Tom. Take care. Wow. Who knew? Yep. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy that they just decided, you know, let, let's just create a whole new standard. 
without without any consultation consultation or even thought about what the implications of that are because if you know all the guide dog schools in the states all of a sudden say well you know what we can't send you guide dogs like what do they think is going to happen and the guide dog standards have been fine you know even when i had my guide dog it was from guide dogs for the blind in san rafael they come out do a home visit you know but after that you know there's no checking your financial records there's no you know invasion of your privacy yeah that's that's totally totally beyond the pale Mm -hmm. you know again you know you you can have children and not fall under that kind of scrutiny yeah you know that's crazy so do you really think that that's basically what it comes down to is just that somebody was like "Ooh, you know what we could make more money off this off this industry if we if we create all these new standards and then we have to create a you know committees I don't think it's just that. I think, you know, Tom is right in saying there are more and more, quote unquote, service animals being fed into the regular population, whether it's PTSD. Therapy animals. Therapy animals. Right. You know, so there needs to be some sort of standard in place so that you can regulate this. For for them, because there there doesn't exist a standard. The thing is with guide dogs, there are already standards. Yes. Yeah. That's just crazy. Government at work. Yep. yep. And they mess with the wrong guy because he will screw their long distance up. <laughs> <laughs> they not know who they're messing with. <laughs> I tell you, if you could replicate that Skype, but do 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 do, could do a lot of damage. That's all I'm saying. Maybe. Uh hey Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? Online at www.atbanter.com. And they can also email us if they so desire. atbanterpodcast at gmail.com. Where can they, where, whoa, you're a jump the gun, Steve. I was just about to I say know, something. you're just like. Ask me the question. Ask okay, me the question. here we go. <laughs> where, where else can they find us, Steve? I don't know. <laughs> you bastard oh yes i am thank you uh well let's see they can also find us at uh facebook and twitter and uh we got a youtube channel and that's it and uh that's it now i think uh, we, we yeah we just keep complaining about instagram every every week but we don't even we're not even gonna push that anymore Seeing as we never take pictures. Well, listen, we're not hot (laughs) chicks. Like, honestly, Instagram accounts are for hot chicks to take pictures of their butt and do the duck face. That's it. That's what Instagram is for. (laughs) Ryan, I'm forwarding all email to you. That's sadly accurate. (laughs) Ryan, yeah, I tell you, you've. Well, I have no idea. You've been blind blind since what? 95. 95. Yeah, I have no idea what the world's changed into. The duck duck face is the most ridiculous (laughs) thing that's ever happened to us as a society i don't know where it came from where all of a sudden like that duck face is supposed to be sexy it looks stupid yeah it would probably just stun just women just like "Mm," their lips out like that it's just apologies to any people listening who actually do have a duck face yeah that's right if you were born that way look i'm sorry (laughs) off the rails we go (laughs) (laughs) right Oh, anyways okay i feel better now i feel like 10 pounds lighter that's been, that's been festering for like three years obviously i'm telling you they're all gonna look back they're gonna be 40 
And they're going to look back at those pictures and go, oh, what was I thinking? Well, that's going to about do it for us this week. I have been Rob Minow. You guys suck. <laughs> you guys seriously suck. <laughs> Don't forget I have editing software. That's not, it doesn't bother me. All right. Go. And I'm Ryan Flurry. And I'm Steve Barkley. Thanks, everybody, for listening in, and we will see you all next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by bensound.com.